0: Welcome to Growth Hack by Poppy Digital, tips and tricks to master the algorithms from industry insiders. Now here's your host, Julian Espinoza. Welcome back to Growth Hack, where we break down marketing channels like Google, Facebook, Instagram, and show them how to make them work for you. The privacy movement has changed marketing forever. Our ability to track results continues to dwindle. These technologies aim to protect people's privacy online, From iOS 14 to Google's new privacy sandbox, what has led us down this path? It's always one of those stories that one person ruined it for all of us. Well, today on Growth Hack, we bring on Simon Poulton to talk to us about the past and what the future holds for tracking marketing results. Simon is the Vice President of Digital Intelligence at WPromote. He oversees analytics development, data analysis, and analytics solutions teams. He sets the vision for the future of digital measurement and actively engages with business leaders to democratize digital marketing analytics, allowing organizations to make confident data-backed decisions. Welcome, Simon. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Very excited to have this conversation, and uh, I think our audience is going to be really, really stoked on what you have to say.
1: Oh, well, hey, look, I'm excited to be uh, on your show. I think you've had some great guests of late, and uh, honestly, I'm I'm just excited to talk about this, the world of privacy and what that is, what that really means for us. Because uh, there's a lot of really hot takes out there, and some of them are some of them are, uh, are good, and some of them are just like that's not happening. Like those the, remarketing is not going away in totality. Uh, so I think it'll be good to maybe uh, you know get rid of a few of those myths and uh, really dive into to what's actually happening and where we're actually going.
0: Where? Did this all begin, and how did we get here?
1: Initially, there wasn't too much concern about the the utilization of various different tracking mechanisms, things like cookies, and and you know when when you when you go online, just be smart about things. I remember when I was growing up, my parents would say like, "You're not going to purchase anything online." And then we Amazon came around, and we started going, "Okay, we're going to buy everything online," Uh, and 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 that really, I think, started a lot of this awareness around the the nature of privacy online. So it's not necessarily something that we've um. Always talked about, but it is something that has—it's been there as an idea of how much information can be extracted from it from a user or from an individual that perhaps they haven't given you uh, active consent to, to to acquire from them. So when we really think about the the modern era, I, I think a lot of this began around uh, 2017, 2018, uh, and 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 really looking at uh, some of these things like the do not track signal uh, that, that was included in, in various web browsers. This idea that you can click a box and that's gonna allow you uh, to tell whatever website you're at, hey, please don't track me, I'm asking politely. Uh, but those websites are gonna say, and they did say, well, we don't care. Uh, and we're, we're going to track you. If you're on our premises, that's what we're going to do. And, and I think the, it, it really started, that's where the, pen, the pendulum started swinging back and forth. So it, it immediately was like, oh, that's a, a kind regard. We're not going to take that uh, under, under um, provision. We're, we're going to move on and we're going to keep tracking you. And then we started to see things like uh, Safari's uh, intelligent tracking prevention. So uh, I think that, that's really the first big moment in time that, that digital marketers truly became aware of the limits that could be uh, enforced by browsers. And of course, when we're talking about iOS 14, we're talking about apps, but that is the the next frontier of this. So uh ITP uh in in, in its in its design was really looking to rein in cookies and and this idea that you'd go to a website and this still happens. I went to uh I I go to Reddit quite a bit and I looked at my cookies that were being stored, and there's a cookie that's stored from Reddit for 14 years. Uh, it's mind-boggling I, I i certainly won't be using this computer in 14 years but but it's just it means that no one's thought about this no, no one has thought about how long is an acceptable amount of time to keep data on somebody especially if they haven't consented and and that uh the, the 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 nature of itp is something that we started to then see creep into other areas of apple's products so that's where att came from uh was this original idea of uh, consent-based tracking, this idea of tracking limitations. So when we reach the point of the the ATT re- uh, release, and, and by the way, I think it's important that we, we do go into ATT and talk about what that is. Um, as, as we reach that point, it is already there was already a lot of momentum behind this, especially from Apple in particular, saying, we really do not think that we can trust the broader internet, that we can trust any of these folks out there, because people, quite honestly, do not know what information they're sharing with the
0: broader world. And this podcast, we don't usually dedicate too much to the whys, more so like what we can do. But just, just let's let's marinate in a second. Why Apple? Why is Apple caring about this?
1: I think it's a it, it's an interesting um, situation that Apple is, is in here, and really. They're taking the stance that government's not going to do anything about this, uh, and 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 they're probably right that we aren't going to see federal level legislation for quite some time. We did see it in the EU, but it's a very different system over there. And so when Apple's coming to this, one, they're looking at it from going, look, there's benefit to the to the public, but two, they're also looking at this going, we don't make that much money from ads, uh, Facebook does, Google does, all these other folks out there do as well. And so there are some, and and I subscribe to some of these theories too that hey. This is Apple looking to level the playing field when it comes to contextual marketing and the and and the ability to target different individuals because they're looking at this going we can launch our own ads product but we can't do anything as powerful or is really as directly targeted as what Facebook had, uh, but they're really just trying to disrupt the the digital marketing ecosystem knowing that Facebook is a powerhouse there and I think the the you know the saddest thing really that came out of the 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 ATT change was it did hurt Facebook. ATT or app tracking transparency. Uh, it's it, there's a technology component, but there's really just a policy component here. And the policy of ATT is if a user, uh, sorry, that is that a user must be prompted when they open the app uh, for for an ability to opt into tracking. If the prompt is not showing, automatically opt out, opted out. There's also a setting on uh, iPhones that allows you to not even see these prompts, and you'll never receive it, so you can never even opt into tracking what that did though is it created a lobotomy between web data and app data so when you think about facebook's ecosystem of data that they have access to a lot of it's based on what you do on the app but Then again, you know, a lot of that's just like me and my friends or pictures of parties and events that I've been to. Uh, But a lot of the really meaningful information that they'll get is actually coming from outside of their walls. So what ATT did is it it put a, 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 a slice right down the middle and mitigated the fact that you can take that data over. Now, that impacted both targeting, but also the ability to bring in that conversion data. So what we then saw was, Facebook still gets this data, Facebook still has all this information coming to them, but they now have to actively purge this data upon receipt. So they know all of this data that they're seeing. It's, it's a it's a pretty cruel twist. If you if if you're if you're on the Facebook side, you're seeing all this great data come through, and you like can't use any of it. Uh, have to purge it all, and then we have to model. And that modeling is is such a, a critical uh issue here because one, it takes time to model, and when you think about uh sampling, and you think about uh for example, if uh you know when when they run those uh, presidential approval rating polls, in the last three hundred Americans, and you go. Know, do they really represent the hundreds of millions of us that weren't polled in this? And, and, and then they say, yeah, Biden's got a 45% rating. Uh, and uh, then you see a little plus or minus 5% at the bottom of the screen. You go, oh, wow, that's a lot of volatility. So either he's at 50 or he's at 40. That's the nature of modeling. That's the nature of sampling. And, and that's really what we're looking at here with what Facebook and other platforms are being forced to do is they've had to take this approach that they just cannot be as accurate as they want to be. And Facebook even came out and admitted themselves, yeah, we think we're around 10 to 15% uh, undercounting the conversions that we're seeing on, on, on our platform. That's not that difficult though when you get a lot of data for these big brands to overcome. So if you're a really big brand with a thousand conversions a day, all that data's coming in, that's awesome because your modeling is going to be a lot more accurate. But if you're a small mom and pop brand, you maybe only get 10, you know, 20 conversions a day. That's really difficult to model.
0: So it's interesting that Apple is doing this. Why hasn't Google done this yet?
1: One, they're trying to stay out of the crosshairs. Uh, and, and, and two, th- when they think about the way that they're working within the broader uh, advertising ecosystem, they are active out there and so when google's been talking about a lot of the the uh their approach to privacy they aren't so concerned with uh trying to police the entire ecosystem rather they're trying to i think Transparently, they're a lot more concerned about themselves and their own market share and looking at this as, you know, never waste a good crisis, right? Like this is a great opportunity uh, for them to try and make a land grab. And uh, I've, had, I've had some very interesting conversations with folks uh, over the past couple of years all about the, uh, the, you know, the privacy sandbox and the various privacy proposals that Google has. The problem is when you when we think about the, the folks who are really, you know, in charge of a lot of these decisions over, at, um, you know, in the Web3 consortium, there's a lot of disagreement. There's, there's a lot of, you know, Google, you can't be the ones to police us. And so Google's still very much lagging behind in, in what they're trying to do because they are trying to find this happy medium the whole time of, well, how can you have a privacy preserving advertising ecosystem? And all of the extreme privacy advocates, like the folks like John are they're the ones going out there going, Mm. You should have no degree of contextual targeting at all. You shouldn't even know that I'm on, on I'm on a website about cat food right now. Uh, even if you're advertising cat food on that website, can't do it. I don't want any of that happening. And so you get an extreme polarization that's happening there. And I think that, that Google is trying to, you know, th- Google has multiple partners in this ecosystem. Uh, two of the big ones, of course, they've got consumers. They are huge. But they've got advertisers and then they have publishers. And both of those groups are incredibly important not to, uh, not, not, not to scare, not, not, not to create concerns around. So I think Google's going to, you know, taking a very slow and
0: deliberate uh, uh, approach here. So it's something they talk about a lot, but that's it. It's talk. So the question is for you, have you seen campaigns, like let's say a Facebook campaign, um, have you seen a Facebook campaign uh, run specifically just on Android?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. As soon as ATT came out, there were a lot of folks going, "You know, we should just run on Android. Or we should, we should just try and, and 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 you know take a few novel approaches here." And I, I certainly have seen that. I, I would note though that you know even though ATT is cutting off the the web from the 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 app environment, it still doesn't diminish the fact that you can target those individuals on on iOS devices within the app environment. So that that's still absolutely very possible. And beyond that, you can also still use custom audiences because those they are not subject to the ATT requirements. And so this is where we start to get really it's a kind of dicey gray area where I, I will tell brands, you know if you have a consumer's information, they've they've consented to to tracking with you and they've you know they've given you their email, you can use that email. you can upload that to Facebook as a custom conversion and utilize that path, uh, and and Facebook is then not subject to the ATT uh, uh, purging requirement. That's a really interesting nuanced angle there. Uh, I don't think it gets, you know, Facebook can't go out and talk about that, because as soon, as soon as they do, people are like, oh, Facebook's trying to subvert the rules. And, and the question becomes, well, are the rules appropriately set are they agreed upon universally and, and and are these things that we should all be adhering to? Or is Apple really just trying to, to some degree, do some virtue, virtue signaling? Uh, but really, is, is Apple just trying to hurt the ecosystem? Because when you look at what Apple's done and you look at the prompt they forced on ATT and it said uh, tracking for advertising across the web and all other apps, like that's really scary and kind of damning. Uh, and then when you look at uh, Apple's own privacy prompt, it's like, would you allow us to track you for personalization? And it's just hard to believe that that came from the same mouth. Uh, and you're like, how can you be so disingenuous with the way that you approach it versus what you allow others to do?
0: So, can you talk and 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 speak about what's actually going on right now in the state of affairs as they stand when it comes to marketing campaigns? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of my
1: favorite uh expressions or or, or phrases that's come out, words that's come out, is the cookie apocalypse. Uh, and I and I often get asked a lot about the cookie apocalypse and what's going to happen when cookies go away. Uh, and, and I think that there's maybe a, a fundamental disconnection between what is being prognosticated to be happening uh, versus what we're actually seeing. So w- when we talk about cookies going away, we're really talking about third-party cookies. That, that that's the first note here. So first-party cookies, they absolutely still exist. They can absolutely still push data into uh, into into Facebook and Google and various other platforms. Where the disconnect I think comes from is from the identity signals that are available. So some of the changes that have happened of late uh, are tied to uh, actually iOS 15 uh, IP address obfuscation. Now some folks will say, ah, that's not that big of a deal because we already lost all those users with ATT, and that, and that and that's fair. And for what it's worth, we should have consent-based tracking. But the approach that is being taken here is is one where these signals are just being completely uh, obfuscated. And so I've seen even seen some studies where they're saying, yeah. yeah. The IP address could be within 100 miles of, of, of a user well, that actually starts to have some really interesting issues with functionality of websites. And if I am in a, in an area where I watch MLB TV and can I watch the Dodgers legally on TV? That starts to be very interesting. So the, the, there are these user signals, user identity signals that are, that are diminishing. That is an active process that is happening that is through the lens of various browsers. There's a website uh, I'd recommend folks check out. It's called cookiestatus.com. Uh, it's uh, by a guy called Simo Ahava. It's just a really great resource on what every single browser is doing when it comes to privacy, because some of them are just like, you know, Chrome, where they're just, they're saying, yeah, we've got the privacy sandbox is on the way, but it's not here yet. So what have you done? Nothing. Uh, and then you look at Safari and they're just going, yeah, seven day, uh, we've got seven day cookie, uh, seven day windows, uh, seven day window limits on cookies, on first party cookies. So even if you set a cookie for Reddit, for example, for 14 years, if you set that, doesn't matter, because they'll purge it after, after, uh, seven days. So that, that that's one that's one um, component that's happening, and then on the other side, we are seeing uh, more and more uh, limits being applied to data that can be passed between ecosystems. So this is all very real. It, 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 I think we've seen this for quite some time. This whole problem of you know you can't get Facebook impression data to join with other platforms that is only going to continue. So we are seeing the the uh, solidification of the silos really bubbling up. That is that that's an active process that is happening right now. That's why we are seeing. Platforms Platforms like Facebook and TikTok bring commerce into their ecosystems because they're planning on making these the the walled garden one stop shop for your your friends, your commerce, your everything. Uh, and, And they're doing that because of the the data loss that exists between these walls. So I think that there are some very interesting issues that that bubble up because of that. But the biggest thing that folks can be doing throughout this journey is realizing everything is fragile. Every network that I've ever gone and advertised on. I might not know who my audience is on there anymore. And so you really do need to think about owning your audience, which I think is, again, such an overused phrase, but it's one that does have some very uh, valuable meaning when you when you really dissect what that means. And when you think about uh, being operationally flexible in the future and when we think, when, hey, when the next TikTok comes along, uh, are you going to be ready for that in terms of being able to bring your audience there because they will be moving whether or not you like it or not?
0: I think the keynote here from from it or the concept is like, you got to be able to stay nimble. You got to be able to adapt. And so I think that leads us to like our, our final, one of the most important questions. What's the future and how, how do you stay nimble? Because that's another thing that you hear, not just in marketing, you hear that across all business uh, sectors. You hear that in all kinds of different concepts. So I, I don't want to be uh, uh, the next guy saying, let's stay nimble, everyone. How do we stay nimble in marketing? Yeah, so
1: to to me, staying nimble, is, there's a variety of functions that go into it. But one of them is really looking at where the puck is going. And and I think as marketers, we just inherently can be very reactionary to changes that we see. And we go, oh, ATT has happened. And oh, my God, the sky's falling. And uh, the sky did fall a little bit. I'm not going to debate that. Absolutely, it happened. But when you think about the future of what's going to be happening with privacy there will be a data zero moment. And what I mean by that is there will be a point in the, in the near future, potentially in the next 18 to 24 months where the ability to receive any kind of identity parameters from the browser will be mitigated in totality. Do you really think that's going to happen in the next 24 months? I do. I do. Um, if you, I don't know if you've had the chance to read the, um, the Google Privacy Sandbox proposal. But there's a a concept in there called the Privacy Budget. And that's tied to these really specific identifiers, like IP address, like user agent, all of these items that they're basically saying, we are going to create a way that these will still be available for you, but they will not be able to be pinned down to one individual. And so that's what we're seeing from Google. They're taking a cohort-based approach. So while you may still be able to resolve a user's identity once they're logged into an environment, and we're going to see a lot more of that, of a lot more logging into different places, once you're able to, you can resolve it that way. But if it's an unknown individual, you will not have the ability to pin them down one-to-one. They will be part of a cohort. And that's a big challenge for
0: us. So that's a bring interesting point. And, and I was wor- I, we've been talking about a project for the last two years with a particular client where how do we create this climate and this personalized experience when someone lands on the website and encouraging them to log in and have this personalized experience? Um, so maybe that's where we're headed. We're headed towards personalized experiences because then we can get someone to log in. So it's like creating this idea of like, okay, hey, you land on the website for the very first time or you've, been, you've uh, exhibited some shopping behaviors and now you get this sort of offering where it's like, hey, create this personalized experience. And I think one of the first places, and again, not to go too much in history, but just for some context and also because this helps for, for people here, one of the first places that really, I think started solving the personalization was the mattress companies. They were doing this personalization of like, okay, well, how much do you weigh? How tall are you? Are you a side sleeper? Are you a stomach sleeper? Are you a back sleeper? Do
1: you like a firm, a firm or
0: a soft? Yeah, exactly. My wife and I have completely different profiles, by the way. It makes it havoc buying a bed. And so, if you can imagine, extrapolate that—that's how you create that personalized experience for someone on your website. So maybe, and and I don't want to take the words out of your mouth, but maybe heading more towards a personalized shopping experience on uh, on your website could get us closer um, to not the, the the sky not falling.
1: Right. I mean, I think there are components of that, but I, I also think that if you, if you're a if you're like a CPG brand listening to this right now, and you're and you're sitting there going like, okay, well, it's great for mattress companies and for sporting apparel companies, but I sell cat food. Uh, there are you know, and maybe there's a couple of things you can do there. Or I sell pencils. It, 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 sometimes there are things that you just. You don't care too much about the degree of personalization because it's it, it, the price point isn't there. And you're just like, I go through a bunch of pencils. Like, I, I don't care. Just regular regular uh, number two pencil. Uh, that mindset, though, is one that I think is going to be very interesting. Not this idea that you'll need to create profiles everywhere you go, but that we will see more p- uh, profile conglomerate uh, groups. Uh, Shopify is when I look at in particular. I think Shopify has immense power in the future. They will be the next Amazon when we think about th- their ability to uh, create these logged in experiences, they're already doing it at the point of payment with with ShopPay. Uh, It's not too far to believe, hey, we've identified this as an individual that has a Shopify account. We are going to have them uh, uh, log in for this experience because, hey, I don't know, even as simple as you get Shopify points for it and you can use those across the board. They've been doing a lot of moves here to make that that happen. And then it's the same thing that we're seeing within the walled gardens. So I think the, the million dollar question here is really, how many logins are too many? And, and and how do you think about not overwhelming your uh, your users during your experience versus uh, providing an experience that is complimentary and, and not going down this path that I think we've we've sort of gone down now, which is every time I go to a website, there's five different pop-ups and there's a chat box and a, and a deal and a cookie consent ban and all these things. And I'm like, this is a terrible experience. I just
0: want to be able to buy these things. Well, Simon, it was so great to have you on the show. I mean, I know I personally learned so much. I've, I I took three of your concepts just even off our initial phone call. And I was like researching and reading about all this stuff, the Google sandbox. And there was just, you, you are an encyclopedia when it comes to privacy and you are, you are leading the charge. So, um, I know that some people are going to be really stoked on this. I know some people might be like, uh, some people may have not even made it to the end of this episode. For the, the People have made it to the end of this episode and are really appreciative of this information. Where can get, they get more information from you and where can they follow you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, transparently, I... What I love about this industry is the community and just connecting with folks and and talking about these ideas. And if it scares you, that's probably a good thing. It probably means that you want to do something about it. So um, certainly I'd I'd love to connect with folks, uh, obviously over on LinkedIn, uh, but I'm super active on Twitter and I've got a a great group of people over there, the uh, privacy Twitter folks that I've got. I'll I'll, I'll tweet out a link to it, Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Twitter twitter.com slash uh S Poulton that's S P O U L T O N uh and I would love to connect with you and just talk about all things digital privacy and really you know what the future has in store
0: well again Simon thanks for coming on the show you guys heard it here follow him on Twitter S Poulton P O U L T O N all right guys thanks for listening we'll have you back on the show soon Simon awesome would love it cheers